Hey, welcome into another edition of Unlocked here on Disrupt the Media. Make sure you like and subscribe with Fox's Brock Heward. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It's brought to you by my bookie. Use that code next round, secure a first deposit bonus on the house from mybookie.ag. How are you, my friend? We're rolling into week four. It's crazy, man. Time flies. Time is flying. October's right around the corner. Conference plays beginning. Get rid of this non-conference, especially week three of college football season. Man, there were a bunch of clunkers out there, uh, but it gets real, real, yeah. real fast this weekend. You know, you were in Columbus last week, and that was one of my big games. I laid the points with Ohio State. I just felt like Cal McCord, if he was gonna, if he was going to play, that's a game that he's got to show up in. Mm-hmm. And he looked to play clean. He looked to play well. Those receivers get great separation. I know it's a different animal. We're talking about Western Kentucky. Uh, but still, I thought Ohio State overall looked good. You were right there. You had an eagle's eye view for it. What do you yep. see? Yeah, they look better uh, than they had, I think, the previous two weeks, which shouldn't be terribly surprising with uh, some new tackles and new components and new pieces and a play caller really trying to learn his quarterback. I think we all believe that, oh, yeah, I mean, Kyle McCord's been in the place here three years. He started the game in 21 in C.J. Stroud's absence. Like, Ryan Day knows him. No, you don't really know somebody until you're in the fire, until you're actually just in the midst of just the most heated competition you can get, which are those 12 regular season battles for these teams. And, yeah, that was a confidence builder, I think, for both play caller, quarterback. Remember, he announced him as kind of his full-time go uh, starter last week. That's good. You get all the reps. Everybody knows there's no more competition. Let's go be at our very best. They were uh, a little different animal uh, than, than, <laughs> than they faced this week. Yeah, little nice. different, little different animal in South Bend as far as just a, a sound defense. It's going to make you earn it. Going to be much, much more physical. Going to be a tremendous, tremendous test. You know, uh, 99.9% of the time, Ohio State's got the advantage of quarterback. This is one weekend they don't. I mean, you're talking about experience. Sam Hartman in year number six, he's thrown a touchdown pass in 34 consecutive games. I mean, this guy is, you know, people were like, is it going to work? He was in, in that mesh offense with Dave Clawson. Right. It's going to work. The guy can play quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he's an elite college quarterback. So I think the advantage is there for Notre Dame. But overall, when you look at speed, mm-hmm. can these defensive backs for, for Notre Dame keep up with what Ohio State has on the perimeter? Yeah, I don't think any any team in college football this year is equipped. Maybe Georgia. I mean, they've got a, a lot of talent on you know, on every level of their defense. But I don't – yeah, to, to run with Marvin Harrison, 22 miles an hour, to, to, to stay in front of a, a, Mecca, you know, a Mecca who's so good, a Buka who's so physical – um, throw in some of the other you know young pieces they have as well. No, nobody is going to just lock them down and feel comfortable. Every coordinator this year that matches up against Ohio State is going to say, "Okay, gosh, how do I make sure?" You know, I say deeper than the deepest. How do I make sure that I've got somebody accounting for Marvin? You know, how do I? I mean, I watched it with his pops. You know, it, Lance. It was interesting when my two years in Indianapolis. Like you study all this tape, and Peyton was renowned for studying tape. I mean, he was just maniacal about it. But then you'd play the game, and that team would not play us like they played everybody else because you couldn't. You had to account for Marvin Harrison differently in that relationship that Peyton had with Marvin differently than than you know what you had shown on tape at that point. So uh, Notre Dame will have a tremendous plan. Um, they they will you know make Kyle McCord try to at least go elsewhere, pound the football a little bit. Not if you're an Ohio State Buckeye fan, that was the best news, how good Travion continues to look. Travion Henderson back to being the dynamic freshman All-American that he was. And if they're to win this game, Travion's got to be, to me, 
150 plus yards, you know, 125 plus yards. I mean, he's got to be just an elite difference maker, breaking tackles, making the difference, making plays for him Saturday. You know, when I first saw Travion in 21, I was like, this dude's going to win a Heisman Trophy. Like, there was no weakness to the game. And then, unfortunately, injuries started to pile up, and Ohio State's got a lot of depth, and they've still got maybe three guys at the running back position that will play on Sundays. But Travion's next level. But on the other side, Notre Dame's been effectively running the football. Yep. They just, I mean, they just looked the part, right? I mean, both of them. When I saw Texas, I think I told you this after week one, seeing Texas didn't surprise me. They went to Bama and went toe to toe with them because off the bus, as coaches love to say, right? Off the bus, you're like, huh, do I want that guy or that guy? Like, do I, they kind of look the same. And, and these Texas dudes go eight deep on their defensive line and they look SEC esque up front uh, on both sides of the ball. So it shouldn't have been a surprise. Wasn't a surprise to see them physically. Uh, match up. I actually was talking to Ryan Day about that in our production meeting, you know, because I put Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Steve Sarkeesian as guys that the NFL are going to come calling for. And it's also guys that know what it's supposed to look like. And that's what Ryan was saying in our meeting, like, man, Alabama, or, you know, Texas just punched Alabama. Like they just, you know, they, they physically like moved them at the line of scrimmage in a way that they had never been able to do in the past. So Notre Dame's finally there. For Marcus Freeman, this this team is built in the image that he wants them to be. Their O line is better than Ohio State's O line. D line probably give a little tip of the cap because of just the ceiling of of the edge players and JT in particular there for Ohio State. But it's awfully awfully close. And as you said, it's why maybe Sam Hartman's the tipping point when those other matchups are fairly even. The tipping point to the veteran quarterback that's been there and done it before. Uh, this is live on the fly. I haven't asked you this yet. I'm going to assume that you are heading to Pullman for undefeated matchup with the castoffs. You're not going to Oregon State, no, Washington State. Close. I'll pull that back in, though. Oh, Tempe? Un undefeated, undefeated, ranked on ranked. It's a, it's a beautiful weekend, man. Salt Lake City for the oh, powder yeah, blue of that. UCLA. We talked about it yeah, last but, week. Yeah, that's okay. That, don't worry yeah. about it. Lance. Dante Come Moore. Well, well, tell me what this. So a lot I, going on. A lot of numbers I in your teased head. this earlier today on yes. the next round I said I think Cam Rising is playing based on the conversation I had with Brock Heward last week because he felt like they're mm -hmm. keeping him on the sideline getting him a little bit more healthy against Weber State and getting him ready for conference play will we see Cam Rising this week Lance if you pin me against a wall life on the line and said who are the most challenging universities to figure out who's playing or not playing <laughs> Utah is number one on that list I mean it's just we meet with them for an hour. It's beautiful. Like Friday, I know exactly. I've been there probably 10 times. And we get Kyle Whittingham sweaty every single time. He walks into the room at 9.59 Mountain Time. He's got a towel around him. He's got a hoodie like this. He's either been on the Peloton. He's been on the treadmill. He's lifted. Uh, one year, he swam. He has worked. It's, it's well known that he's worked out every day of his life for like the last 6,922 6, days at that Wait. time on Fridays. Like, oh, so he doesn't work out on Christmas, though, right? He does. Yeah, he doesn't miss a day. Yeah, he, No, he so, so legitimately 365. I've got days that I just, by principle, I will not work out. Yeah. I don't know about you, but Christmas, I am not. Thanksgiving, I'm not going to work out. Christmas, I'm not going to work out. I will ask him, um, but I'm going to guess he works out on both of those because those are still working holidays in college football most of the time. Uh, so I will ask him and get a definitive answer. But we get him from 10.01 to 10.20. Andy Ludwig you know, from 1020 to 1040 and, and Morgan Scally, 1040 to 11. And that is it. And they give you everything you want. 
But as far as injuries go, it's going to be a game-time decision. Going to be a game-time decision. And in this case, with Cam Rising, six years there, multiple injuries, I found this a unique little wrinkle, that it's not a Utah trainer, that it's not Cam Rising or his parents, it's not Kyle Whittingham. It is actually the doctor who has to be the one to sign off on it. Wow. And that doctor is the same one that just did Aaron Rodgers' uh, Achilles, uh, Ella Tranche, I'm butchering the pronunciation, down in SoCal, where Cam's from. So he had the best guy in the world do it. And until he says yes, uh, they are not going to let him play. My gut, my instinct is it, it's going to be this week. He's going to want to play, especially well, in like, this matchup. We're, we're central time. You're out. I think you're mountain time now in Denver. We're Pacific time. So yep. 2.30, the window here locally is a really good window. As bad as the action was last week, you're in that 2.30 window yep. with UCLA traveling to Salt Lake City. So on that broadcast, if you could just mention it. You don't have to mention me, obviously. Kyle Whittingham does work out on Christmas and Thanksgiving. I would appreciate that. I know it's a shout out for everybody here at Unlocked. Remember to ask about Kyle Whittingham Thanksgiving Christmas workouts. I'm like uh, Lewis Litt on suits. I okay. love it. Uh, Unlocked with uh, Fox's Brock Hewitt is brought to you by Lance's Lock. Dot com jump on board football season is here we will win for you um again we're coming off a seven two and one nfl slate this oh. past weekend i know oh. we crushed it wow. we we won in college again this week we're starting to really dial it in like adjusting it. these numbers yeah lanceslock.com jump on board tries for a day tries for a week tries for a year uh we got great deals up at lanceslock.com so dante moore the kid looks like and I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. that he's been playing college football for five or six years. Incredible. If Cam Rising doesn't play, I think you've got an underrated Chip Kelly defense. It's only given up 2.2 .2 yards per carry. Yep. You've got Carson Steele coming in from the MAC, who looks like he -Man. power five football ain't too big for me. No, he looks like He-Man. Yeah. Um, this is a really good – we talked about all these teams in the Pac-12. Nobody talks about UCLA. UCLA's legit, and they can actually make a statement here. You don't like that He-Man. You didn't watch He-Man growing up? I did. I watched He-Man. Man of no, Arms was part of that. Like Skeletor, I, I do. Well, you didn't really like it. Who was He-Man in the movie? Don't know. Don't Dolph know. Lundgren. Seriously, you don't like He-Man. Was he really? Yeah. That's my guy. That's Drago. That's my yeah. guy, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, Dante Moore, it, it is remarkable to me. I did say that to you last week. I don't know how. I mean, I do know how these 18-year-olds come into college more well-versed than ever before because their high school programs like his out in Detroit was pretty, pretty well mature. Uh, seven on seven, elite 11, all these camps, all these competitions. So, you know, you get to that level, you're like, yeah, man, I've played with these guys. I've competed against these guys. This isn't too big for me. I know these guys. I was an All-American, All-American Bowl with them, and, and I'm going to just fit right in. He's different than DTR. He did not look to run. And that's the one thing in this matchup. You know, last year, UCLA, Charbonnet ran for nearly 200 yards. And DTR didn't kill him with his legs, but his play action, his boots, his nakeds, all of that stuff, all off of the run and DTR's threat to run. This cat's different. This guy reminds me a lot of a young CJ Stroud. Oh, wow. They're similar built. You know, they're like 6'3", 210. They've got just what I call posterior chains, which is a nice way of saying butt. You know, they just got this legs and, and butt that are just solid and it gets its feet in the ground and you will see this. And, and I, you know, we had our call with our director early in the week. I said, man, I want such a focus from our low levels and everywhere else just on on his on his feet, on his body, because it looks like and it didn't matter first game of the year against Coastal Carolina when he gets in there and he's just slinging it um, San Diego State. Not a real hard place to play. Pretty sleepy in San Diego. Yeah. So this will be his first test. And does he flinch? 
Because Lance, when I tell you, like he stands back there, like you think of certain guys in their batting stance, like a Cody Bellinger, super upright and just like his body doesn't move much. Other guys are, you know, they're with the bats and, you know, they're moving that thing around. It's all over the place. Same thing with quarterbacks. Some like to bounce, right? Some like to move their feet. Some, he likes to just be cool as a cucumber, man, and just sit back there like no one's rushing and just fire. And his composure is off the charts, but it will be tested, in my opinion, right now in college football, in the most hostile environment west of the Rocky Mountains. Wow, well, they've won uh, 16 consecutive home. No, more than that. I well, they lost I in 2020. As far as like real games, it was 2018. With the crowd there, it's been since 2018. UW, early in the year in September. Yep. So I kind of washed 2020, COVID year, no fans, crazy, like in a legit hostile environment. You know, 50-some sellouts in a row. Like it is a madhouse. Oregon can be a madhouse, and it will be for Colorado Saturday. Uh, Husky Stadium could still be an absolute madhouse and even louder than Rice Eccles uh, when Oregon comes to town in a few weeks and everything else. But as far as consistently at 11 a.m., at 1 a.m., at 4 p.m., at 7 p.m., doesn't matter for those folks in Salt Lake. Rice Eccles has become a nightmare. And you can ask Caleb Williams about it. I mean, it was a madhouse when we were there last year. And it's going to be a madhouse, and this freshman will be put to the ultimate test. You know, Chip Kelly in his four years in Eugene was viewed as one of the top five coaches in college football. He comes back after a brief stint in the NFL, takes a UCLA job, and he's gotten better each and every year. And I think people have forgotten that Chip Kelly can really coach. And I don't think people realize, and you're close to the Pac-12, you played in the conference, and unfortunately, as we've talked about a million times, it's going away this year. But that is a difficult job. They don't have the resources a lot of schools have. And for me, Chip Kelly's done a really good job there. And I think they're a legitimate contender this year. That's why I got an extension. It's hard because it's an off-campus. I mean, it's a crown jewel of college football. It is the Rose Bowl. But, you know, it's 35000 in there for, for them. You know, it's an off-campus. It makes it so hard on these schools. It's why if Mario Cristobal is going to sustain and maintain at Miami, I would continue to argue – Get something on campus. Hard to do in Coral Gables. There's not much land. There's a lot of rules and regulations, but you know, just put something there because if you think of Pittsburgh and you think of Miami and you think of UCLA, off campus is hard. It's hard to create that juice that you get at Rice Eccles, that you get at Husky Stadium, that you get at Oregon. So you say resources, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Give me 90,000 just passionate fans and make it brutal to come and play in your building. He doesn't have that. So to your point, he's got to make the most of it. He's an innovative offensive mind. I don't put him maybe just because of age in that same class as Sark and Lincoln and Ryan, where the NFL is going to come calling. They already did. He had that experiment twice in Philly and San Francisco. He's not going back there. But now in this transfer portal, you know, he is uh, he from day one. We had him in our seminar a couple of years ago. And unlike a lot of us, old school, even some of the coaches that were just very against this whole crazy wide open free agency, he's like, that's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Like, I I can't wait. And he's done a terrific job with Sturdivant, the receiver from Cal. You mentioned Steele, the running back from Ball State. He's added in some of these pieces that want to come play in L.A., uh, USC receiver Ford that didn't, didn't fit at USC. But it's going to carve out a nice role there, and they're going to they're going to move the ball. They're going to score some points. The question will be that defense. I'm a, those numbers to me don't match this game tape right here on my little iPad that I've been watching the last three like days. It. Yeah, I've been watching some of these plays where it's like, ooh, and if they hit that, ooh, that's a miss. Ooh, San Diego State missed that one. Ooh, 
there is a bunch of misses and their corners have really struggled out on the perimeter at times. So yeah, uh, if it's Cam Rising playing, they're going to score some points on this defense. They're going to move that ball. If it's the redshirt freshman playing, yeah, now it's going to be a, a dogfight down to the very, very end. It is Fox's Brock Heward on Unlocked right here. Disrupt the media. Like, subscribe. It's brought to you by MyBookie. Use that code. Next round secure. First deposit bonus on the house at MyBookie.aj. Let's jump around a couple of more Pac-12 games before we get to the NFL. You mentioned Oregon. Uh, they are hosting Colorado, the story of college football. So fun to stay up till 1.15 local time for me, watching the double overtime win. Shadur Sanders was incredible. Yep. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting. Dion decides to take the ball in overtime. We've never seen that before. Nope. They get away with it. Um, I thought it was interesting. Jay Norville didn't go for two. Um, you know, Agreed. you can question that all day long but they're still undefeated now they head into Oregon they're 21 point underdogs I believe they're 21 point underdogs for a reason I think Oregon scores 60 plus on this Colorado defense I think Dion's already made Colorado their money or Colorado's made their money off of Dion Um, I, I think he has cemented himself as a guy that is going to be a problem for other coaches and other teams moving forward so I think they're playing with house money. With all that said, I do think Oregon is a much better team, and I think Oregon will score with ease. What is your thought on the game in Austin this year? Yeah, this it feels – yep, kind of feels like a 50-30, 56-35. Colorado's going to score. Oregon defensively has still, to me, some limitations and a lot of prove it. Like Tosh Lapoy, the D coordinator there, is, is got to prove it. They've got transfers that have come in. they got elite speed. They will match step for step something that TCU, Nebraska, certainly Colorado State from just a pure speed standpoint could not do but you started to feel and you felt it the last two weeks if if you've watched those games closely you have started to feel you didn't feel it at TCU and I think a lot of that was opening week don't know what we're going to (laughs) get and Shadur and the fully loaded team just had TCU defensively on their heels all game long Nebraska they they hit them and and if they had any help offensively that could have should have would have been a four-quarter game as well instead of the blowout it became but uh, you you have felt just that pocket around Shadour, right? You could just see him getting hit. He took some shots. I mean, that shot to the chin and the shoulder to me, I was like, oh, no, get up, get up, get up. Because that's an AC joint waiting to happen in the separated shoulder when he landed right on his throwing shoulder. So that is the that's why it's a 20-point game, is just eventually those lines of scrimmage that are thinner, that don't have the bodies, that can't sustain once you get to elite conference play and they get thrown right into the fire with Oregon and then SC. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get a little real. And I for one can't wait to see how Dion handles some adversity. Yeah, like, well, he's adversity. already, you know, it was all all personal until this week, and then they brought up the Dan Lanning. Hey, uh, Colorado hasn't done anything in this conference. And he backed it up a little bit. Like, hey, that program's really good. He <laughs> yeah. wasn't talking any shit this week, and I don't blame him. I stay away from that 100%. Yeah. The the Castaway Bowl, though, that I brought up earlier in Pullman, yeah. uh, two teams that don't have homes next year and two teams that are really good this year, Oregon State, Washington State, as predictable as we think Oregon will be over Colorado. This is one of those games, I don't know, Cam Ward's playing great. We talked about Jonathan Smith's a great coach. They play fundamental football. Um, I thought they were looking ahead a little last week, although they get the win. It didn't matter. Mm -hmm. But this should be a hell of a game. What is the line on this one right now? Has it moved at all? Uh, I think it is – I think it's Oregon State two and a half. Yeah. Oregon State two and a half. Yeah. That probably feels right. That – I mean, I've got a lot of friends, Lance. You know, not as – how can I say that? 
I don't have as many Coug friends as I have Husky friends, obviously, um, being on the west side, but I got a lot of them. It's really, really close. And I've gotten a tremendous feel for the emotion of that Washington State fan and what it means. And they have a few of these opportunities, you know, national national spotlight um, game that will follow us on Fox. Everybody's going to be watching. Tim. They did it against Wisconsin. They did. And in that A, that helps. The only concern I have for Wazoo is they can rush the passer. Like, they can get after the passer. Their two edge dudes are legit players and, you know, probably going to be late draft picks and, and in NFL camps next year, Stone in particular. So they can get after the QB. Can they stop the run? And Oregon State will go in there and attempt to pound the football. DJ took a little step back last week. He was not as efficient as he's been. Threw a couple picks. Started to like, ooh, you know, like just confidence-wise. And, and we have, we saw that at Clemson. as a guy with some peaks and some valleys. So if somehow, some way, Wazoo gets the safeties up and they somehow, some way, really do consistently stop that run, uh, they, they can win this game. They're going to score. You know, I think this is going to be a game in the in the low low 30s, right? Uh, and if they can just stop that run and put it on DJ, uh, that's that's how they find a way to win it. And if I'm DJ, man, for my teammates, my peers, my locker room, this is it right here. Like, this is a big one. Like, okay, we're undefeated. We're ranked. People are feeling pretty good about us. We're, we're playing pretty good ball. But if I'm DJ Uyunglele and I left Clemson and I left all of that hype to come to Oregon State and do my job and do my business and be an NFL dude, like this is a stage, this is a venue, come be hostile. This is a time where I earn the respect of my peers. Like, let's go. And it can mean a whole lot for the rest of the season. And this is one of those games. If it would have been last week, it would have been the marquee game of the weekend. Yes. A lot of people, casual football fans, will look at it and they'll be like, Oregon State and Washington State, these are two legitimate teams. It'll be a really fun game to watch. Damian Martinez, one of the most unknown yep. running backs in yep. college football for Oregon State. And you're right. If they can slow him down, you know, that, that could be the difference. Yeah, I, I would not bet against the Kooks. I, I, I really wouldn't. Cam's going to make some plays. You, you've got to understand some of their mindset, which is the world is against us. And even though it's the other team who, was, who has been as hurt in this whole process as you have, I don't think they'll be sentimental. I don't think they'll have any pity. I think they're on a war path. And especially at home, if this game was in Corvallis, I, I think it's a 10-point game to the Beefs. The fact that it is in Pullman in that place – and strange things have happened in there. They just beat Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago. They do have people on the edges that can create some chaos. If they can just efficiently stop the run and put it in DJ's hands, advantage Kooks. It's unlocked with Fox's Brock Hewitt. It's brought to you by my bookie. Use that next code. They use the code next round and secure that uh, first time deposit bonus. It's on the house at mybookie.ag. Week three in the NFL coming up. You know, I got to start with my Rams. And this is one of the problems. If you don't watch the game, you see numbers sometimes, and they're a little right. misleading. Yep. There were two picks that Matt Stafford threw. They weren't his fault. And without those th two picks, one hit Kyron Williams right in the hands, bounced up, led yep. to seven points for San Fran. The other was a route. I think Van Jefferson cut it short, and the ball's picked off easily. Not Stafford's fault. He's playing great. He's playing great without Cooper Cup. We've talked about Puka Nakua, who was just – Awesome. He's just come on the scene, man. Awesome. Uh, just dominate 25 receptions in two games, which is incredible. Uh, but I hate losses as a Rams fan. Mm -hmm. But I came out of that thinking, damn, this team is good. I really think without mistakes, and if they can stay healthy on the offensive line, this team will be a good team because San Francisco is legitimate. 
Uh, yes, 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 yes to everything that you just said. We talked about this going into the opener in Seattle. Right? You kind of framed it like, is is this a, a Rams team that's a 5-1 team that's just in rebuild with 43% of their roster being first or second year guys? Or are they kind of a little dangerous animal with Stafford and a motivated McVay and young, impressionable, motivated guys trying to show that they do belong in this league? And it's been a whole bunch more of the latter. Great win up in Seattle, one of the better wins for a road team in this league, and then going, yeah, tooth and nail with San Francisco. So as long as Matthew Stafford is available, right, as long as he is upright, as long as that elbow holds up, as long as his body feels good, they got enough offense. They got enough trust between McVay and Stafford. They're further enough along in their playbook uh, to get to the things that they want to do each and every week. They are going to be a problem offensively. But I can't think of another team in this league where if you were to say, and injuries happen to everybody, every one of these teams in the NFL, and, and we saw it Monday night, is going to lose prominent starters, difference makers. Seattle lost two tackles, playing with two new tackles in Detroit. So it is the 45 guys that are active. It is the roster that can go 45 deep and sustain. That's going to be the problem, I think, with your Rams, Lance. I think this is going to be a viable September. I think it could even sustain into October. But you know and I know, you're going to lose a half dozen guys and that roster of any of them. If you said rank them, which can't afford to lose prominent guys, it is probably the Rams right near the top of the list in the NFL this year. Well, Joe Nobloom goes out and two immediate sacks right, right after that. And the first yep. time Stafford had been touched this year. Uh, so I'm in a small minority here, but I have never been a fan of Sean Payton. I know he won a Super Bowl in New Orleans. I saw three consecutive seven and nine seasons with Drew Brees. And now you get the Hail Mary. And I had checked out late, and I had gone to this Mexican dive restaurant, and I was watching the end of the Commanders and Broncos. And I just thought it was so fitting. They get the – not only Russell can't get it to the end zone, they get the perfect tip play, and then they can't convert the two-point conversion. You're right there in Denver. You host a show. Yeah. What is what is the temperature right now, not for Sean Payton necessarily, but just for this organization in general? Unbelievable frustration. I don't think people on the national level understand that the Denver Broncos, from a credentialed standpoint, have as much media or more than any other team in the NFL. I think at one point it was actually number one, even ahead of Philly and New York wow. and some of those markets. So the attention, you know, when I was up in Seattle and I made my home there, uh, two of the three major networks didn't have sports, right? King Five, the, the NBC affiliate still had a dedicated sports anchor and, and number two and covered sports. The ABC and CBS affiliate went away from full-time sports and just kind of had a consultant. And uh, Denver, every single station, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, multiple people at all of those games, multiple post-game shows, let alone all the blogs, all the radio, three different radio stations in Denver. So it is a hyper-intense. The national market, the media folks, you know, or the national fan don't get that. But it is one of the most intense markets on their Broncos that you find in the NFL. And they are, I mean, you saw the stadium at the end. They had booed their way out. They are so mad at the product and how this product for the last six years, after being really proud and winning Super Bowls with Elway and a Super Bowl with Peyton, has really fallen on brutal times. Haven't beaten the Raiders in seven games, like four wow. years. Haven't beaten the Chiefs in even longer than that. So it is frustration. It is ticked. It is then watching timeouts and laid out of the huddle, all of the chaos that's going on. It's not going to be long before you see some of the animus and the vitriol and what you're talking about. I don't love Sean's negativity, right, either to the league or 
to peers or, or even to some of his players, it, it, it's going to come out because that division's brutal and they have not answered the bell the first two weeks out. Hey, and I'll tell you, if I was a uh, an, an, another fan base right there in the AFC West, if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm looking at this and look, I liked Brandon Staley. Um, I liked he was a kind of a gambling coach his first year out after he was D- DC for the Rams taking over the Chargers. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter, it seems like any close game they're in, uh, in postseason games, they can't win. You've got what seems to be an elite quarterback in Justin Herbert. Now you go to Minnesota and you've got 0-2 versus 0-2. And you know in this league, you dropped 0-3. It is almost yep. impossible yep. to be able to get out of that hole and get back into postseason conversation. But what's going on right now with the Chargers? Yeah, it's going to be – that's a desperation bowl out there. And probably even more so for the Chargers, right? Uh, I think out in Minnesota, head coach, young coach, got a little equity last year and getting to the playoffs and winning. And and I think, you know, when it's said and done, that NFC North's going to beat each other up a little bit. And and who knows, maybe a a 10-win team can win that division between Green Bay and Detroit and and Minnesota. That's not going to be the case out West. I mean, Kansas City is (laughs) – is still Kansas City and still got Mr. Mahomes and and uh, so it yeah this is a this is a must I can't you help me out here Lance you know for Dabo it was Clemsoning like we got to get over this Clemsoning right like yeah. it, we got to get over this I, is there another team in the NFL that has more like chargering oh Chargers going to charger doesn't matter who the head coach is doesn't matter who the personnel is like they're just they're the Chargers they're just going to find a way to screw it up in the end. I, I don't think that that curse hangs over any other team in the NFL. It's so it's, talented. I mean, my gosh, when yes. you look at their skill, it just it makes no sense. And look, I know it was really close against Miami, but when they got the ball in that final possession, I didn't think they were going to score. It's been really close in both of those. I mean, it's down to the wire, both brutal, absolutely brutal, just punch to the gut kind of losses. But that's what, unfortunately, until you get over that hump, until Dabo, he can yell and scream and this whole dad, you know, clumsy thing, it's over. No, it's not over until you actually do it, until you actually go and win those games. You don't get to say it. The record says it. The new people then don't even remember that. I'm sure there's even you know, parts of your young audience here that's Clemsoning. What, what's Clemsoning? I've never even heard of Clemsoning. No, that was a real thing for a long time for those guys. Just as chargering, unfortunately, has been a real thing through multiple coaches, multiple staffs, multiple personnel, and uh, they've just simply got to get over that hump to shut it up. And I don't know what the number is. It's probably 90-plus percent on NFL games that come down to a final possession. Look, you playing in the league, what's it like in those final two or three minutes? Just the intensity of you work so hard. You've only got 17 of these games, and you work so hard all week long, all summer, the offseason, and it always comes down to a a field goal, a two-minute drill. Just how intense is it? Those veterans know it. Right. I mean, the veteran teams just know it like it busts pipes or makes diamonds. <laughs> and Geno Smith, I mean, he had an unbelievable game. You talked about if you didn't just watch the game, you just looked at the numbers. Well, the numbers were astronomical. But if you watch the game, Lance, he had one negative play. Truly. I mean, I, on his grade sheet, it, it had to be the highest grade that he ever had as a Seahawk. He was that dialed in. And the ball was out. He was accurate. He was every single level doing what he had to do. He scrambled uh, a few times. But then, final two minutes, guess what happened? Right, He took a 17-yard sack to the two-yard line. kind of lost track of time (laughs) and space and was thinking, well, I don't want to throw it away because the two-minute warning, I want to make them burn a timeout. Like, no, 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 no. Don't take – no, no. Oh, oh God. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. I'm like saying that to the – don't do that. Don't do that. Throw it away. Throw it away. Throw it away. Doesn't throw it away. Takes a sack, two-yard line. 
Thankfully, the defense at least holds them to a field goal to get the game to overtime. So, yeah, you see, what do they say about pitchers, you know, when it gets to the playoffs or these big moments or the late innings, that game will speed up on you. And the game is already fast, but in those final two minutes, those decisions, those judgments, and just the pace of play, man, the game will speed up on you unless you take that breath and slow it down. You were talking about chargering. Some of the most jinxed organizations, you've already seen the Jets lose Aaron Rodgers. The Browns lose Nick Chubb. But another one of those jinxed organizations is the Detroit Lions. And there was so much hype coming in, and they look like your clear-cut NFC North favorite. But that defense still isn't there, is it? No. No. It's still still thin. It's still – you know, we'll see. Aaron Glenn is is you know been a name that's gotten a lot of attention and head coaching interviews, but but he's he's got to do it. He's got to get his guys. You know, they win in Green Bay to end the season and knock the Packers out of the playoffs. They win in Arrowhead to begin the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that hype's deserved that building and talking to Seahawks personnel and people. It was, it was ludicrous. I mean, it was everything that Dan Campbell said it was going to be. I mean, it was a madhouse, nuthouse. They want a winner. But, yeah, man, they still just personnel-wise. And then this week they lose Montgomery and you lose Amon Ross St. Brown possibly to a toe. And you played without your left tackle and your right guard got banged up, man. <laughs> it ain't college, brother. All right? You don't got 85 dudes. You you can't run out a whole second O-line and a whole second D-line. It just doesn't work that way. You have limited numbers. And when you start losing people, well, guess what? The league gets back to 8-8 eight and eight or I don't know, nine and eight or eight, and nine with this ridiculous 17 game schedule, but it starts to even out exactly the way everything is built to do in the league. I know it was the giants and the jets with the backup quarterback, but Dallas has looked lights out. I mean, if you, could you say this early on, it was AFC and everyone else. And the Eagles were actually your favorite from the NFC coming into the year after going to the Super Bowl last year. But does Dallas maybe look like the best team in the NFL right now? You know, who's really good, Lance Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's really good. You know, I I think he's taken his name out of a few head coaching spots. I don't know when that next gig or or what exactly he's looking for. I think he knew what he had in Dallas. Is like, yeah, yeah, I don't need to interview in Denver. I'm not I'm not looking out there. I I got a pretty good deal. I mean, he is to me one of the guys like Pete Carroll that understands mentality. Brandon Staley knows X's and O's. And when I sat with him a couple times, when he was a D coordinator with the Rams, the year I was doing the NFL, I left those meetings going, this is a head coach, and his X's and O's are so good. When I've been around Dan, Dan Quinn, his X's and O's are so good, but he's one of the few that gets this. Uh, old D coordinator at Iowa State, John Haycock, so good. Sat with him for the Iowa game, and he cut his teeth with Bo Schimbeckler. And this is one of those like perception and realities that will kind of skew your thought. You think Bo Schimbeckler, you think Vince Lombardi, old school, right? Just eat glass, just tough. <laughs> and he was like, Bo Schimbeckler was so ahead of his time because he said it's four to one. The mentality in getting guys mentally ready to play, not schematically, mentally ready to play was four times more important than any scheme we can draw up. Haycock has lived with that, carried that, is at elite defenses the last decade at Iowa State. And Dan Quinn and Pete Carroll and some at the very top, Pete, uh, Andy Reid at the top of the food chain, Sean McVay, I think, Kyle Shanahan, they get that the X's and O's are super important. But if we miss on the mentality and having our guys mentally in the right headspace to play, and I think Dan Quinn is phenomenal. 
the best assistant, the best D coordinator in that way, and his group has played it and proved it the first two weeks. So the Bengals were 0-2 at this time last year. It feels a lot different with the calf, <laughs> uh, the, the strain calf. Going into Monday night football, uh, right now Cincinnati's a one-and-a-half-point favorite because nobody knows whether or not they're going to rest Joe Burrow. Yep. Uh, how bad is that for a quarterback? Sucks. And does he need – to sit for a couple of weeks to get that thing 100%. I mean, they tried that, Lance. I mean, that's the hard thing with that injury. They, they tried that in training camp. That happened early in training camp. How long did he sit out? Three weeks? Yep. You know, I mean, that's probably some of their thought process. Like, geez, I mean, we already did this once, took care of it, gave it the time and gave it the rest. But the problem with that injury, it is so fickle. And just when you think like, okay, we're good, you know, one step, one movement, like, oh my gosh, and now we're reset all the way back again. So I don't know if there's a definitive answer. They've got the best of the best, Joe, I'm sure, not only with the Bengals, he's got his own people and the best of the best in MRI and evaluating and what can we possibly do to make sure that that this thing doesn't hamper me because we've seen him get beat up, you know, when fully healthy. And if he is compromised at all, then you're then you're putting other stuff, right? Then you're putting an AC joint. Then you're putting getting a hit. Then you're just dealing with other things that you do not want to happen. So, yeah, we'll see what judgment there is made. But, yep, back to what I said five minutes ago. You pluck away one player here, you get one injury there, and, oh, my gosh, is it amazing what it can do to your dreams and aspirations at that level. Yeah, and back to it, man. Fox 230, Brock will be on the call. UCLA, Utah, it's two undefeated, top 25 matchup in injuries. We will see if Cam Rising is going to be out there. Can't wait to see it. Safe travels, enjoy it. Um, and it should be one of those weekends where we get a good barometer, a yes. good gauge on a lot of these teams, and we'll obviously get into it next week right here on Unlocked. Can't wait, man. These uh, these hours fly by with you. These shows fly by, and and you're right, man. This is this is getting the conference play largely. I know Ohio State and number and, and uh, Notre Dame is not conference, uh, but it might as well be because it is going to be eye opening for all of us to kind of a kind of a discovery weekend. We get to discover who is really what they think they are, and can't wait to talk with you about it next week. And enjoy the week, and hopefully your Mariners will continue to play good baseball. We'll Let's see. Go. Let's go.